Without knowing why, we might describe guitarist Dustin Douglas as somewhat puckish, rather playful in a mischievous way, as Oxford Languages defines that word. This is fun in and of itself because, as we'll learn, Douglas loves words, loves to play with them as he writes lyrics for his original songs. He would very much appreciate being called puckish for that reason, we think, but it gets better. Shakespeare, we're told by his birthplace trust, provided the first recorded use of over 1,700 words, including the term swagger. And, as it happens, the shrewd and knavish sprite Puck was the first to use that word in a monologue in A Midsummer Night's Dream. What hempen homespuns have we swaggering here so near the cradle of the fairy queen, says Puck. There's a sense of strutting around with an air of pride or confidence then. NPR tells us that Jonathan Swift used swagger in 1726 in a passage in Gulliver's Travels. And what's fascinating is that in the journal Science, founded by Thomas Edison, there was an article published in 1892 titled The Decline of Swagger, and it begins with the observation We shall not, we hope, be accused of knocking another nail into the coffin of respectability if we venture to point to the decline of swagger as one of the signs of the times. No doubt the change is somewhat recent and the transition hardly complete, but we may take it as established that, for the moment at any rate, swagger is not the fashion. No doubt the consciousness of personal merit and possible superiority is as strong in human nature as ever, but most people are contented to acquiesce in the knowledge of the fact and are willing not only to forego the particular form of its expression, which is known as swagger, but even to live without expressing it visibly at all. We know, however, that swagger has never died, Fonsworth Bentley issued a book in 2007 titled Advance Your Swagger, contending that confidence and style have a lot to do with swagger. But still, it's a word not so easy to define. We might ask now, is there any swagger in what we're about to hear? There's a deliberate restraint in the playing and we get a sense the player is playing with us, holding back here before showing off what he's made of as a musician. This is Dustin Douglas from an album of his group, Dustin Douglas and the Electric Gentleman, with longtime bandmates Tommy Smolkum and Matt Gabriel. Dustin Douglas and the Electric Gentleman have their own style, musical and sartorial, and they've just released a new album titled Black Leather Blues. George Graham invited them to share some of the new tunes here at the WVIA studios in a live homegrown music in-studio concert on May 24th. Douglas stopped in a few days earlier to talk about the new release, 
before playing for one of the people he respects so much on the original music scene, George Graham, here in that concert. Douglas has known George for a long time because Douglas is from here. Born and raised. I am born and raised in Northeastern PA. I am still residing in Northeastern PA. It's all I've ever known. And like we spoke before, it's like George is just like this legend. And it's a different when you guys call upon us to do something here. And I don't know why. There's some sort of different vibe about WVIA and you guys like. I mean, I remember growing up as a child, and I, I don't know when they were syndicated or, or how the schedule was, but watching the homegrown shows. And then remember seeing people that I started to recognize. So it's one of those checklist things for us, for sure. What else was on the radio when you were growing up? I was a pro, I'm a product of definitely Rock 107. It's funny because I don't remember many of the DJs there. No offense. I'm just saying I don't, I remember the music more than anything. But that's like when I was hanging out with my Uncle Stevie and my dad up at my grandparents' house and they were washing their cars and we would listen to Rock 107, which had, you know, Aerosmith and Boston and The Stones and all that stuff. So that's what I grew up on. That's my first thing of radio. But also my grandparents on my dad's side always used to have, every time you went to the kitchen, there was always low music playing. And I don't recall what station it was, but there was always... And it was kind of like there'd be big band segments in there and stuff. So I like always would just go in there. And I'd probably drink a soda and snack on something. And it's funny. I never really thought about that. And it was, I mean, in retrospect, kind of a cool vibe where it's like, no matter what, <laughs> there was music going on. So you went into the kitchen and it was like that. I remember a lot. And my parents just had constant music in the house and in the car. And music was everything and is everything to me. When did you pick up a guitar? When did you play the piano? What was the start of you as a musician in that milieu? I mean, the first thing is like the physicality of holding an instrument. I mean, my parents always, always got me guitars and toy guitars. I had like two different rigs. <laughs> it's so funny. It's not much has changed, but I had a rig at my parents' house, a rig. And the, I remember the mic stand that I had at my grandparents' house had. You could control the lights that were on it with the foot switch. So that was like, yeah, and I would have a guitar and annoy the hell out of everybody. And what was the store? Where did people go for guitars like you were playing? Well, I mean, all those that I'm referencing to probably came from a Toys R Us or like a thing like that. That's real young. I'm talking when I was a baby. Did dad take you to a concert that you will never forget? Am I remembering properly? Yeah. My first concert was, my parents both took me to see Aerosmith at Montage Mountain. And that changed my life forever. They just announced their final tour. So I'm like, man. And what's funny is the openers are the Black Crows. And, and for me, those are like two of my biggest bands in the world. For young me, they're like two of the reasons I wanted to play rock and roll and blues influenced rock and roll. And so I have to go see them. Unfortunately, the, the floor tickets were like $2,500 a piece the last time I saw them. So that's not going to happen. That put you on his shoulders. Yes, he did. And he said it was overcrowded. They oversold it. And this wasn't the montage that's there today. This is the montage that it was like old. It was older. I think it's where the water park was now. And they oversold it. And I was getting uncomfortable and kind of anxious. And um, he's like, dude, there's only one place to be at a place like this. And I was like, where? And he like pointed to the stage on the stage. And I was like, that's right. And I took him real literal. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good story. I've told that one before for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Why are you going to make sure you see the farewell tour? What is it about their sound that resonates with you? And I know it's hard to put into words, but what is it that talks to you from Aerosmith's music? 
sonically wise it was definitely just like these dudes because they were like super blues influenced so there and there was just a swagger to it all you know obviously it turned into something different and a little more commercial the early stuff and and they're also like i mean i guess they would be considered from new england being from boston but i mean that, that's east coast enough for me to be like they were kind of you know they were an american band i mean I, at the time i didn't care at all but now that i think of that it's like all right he doesn't sound like me. And the image of them too, like Joe Perry, it was like the coolest dude I ever saw in my life. Like leather pants and black Les Paul and long hair. And so I just, it was everything to me. And then when I saw them live, I was just like, oh, these cartoon characters are real people. That was it, dude. So yeah, I've seen them since then too. So it's cool. It's cool. And you use the word swagger and reviewers of your albums, your music, your performances use that word for you. What does swagger mean? What does swagger mean? Um, that's a very good question. Let's see. What does swagger mean? I think it's a mixture of, of confidence, attitude, the rate, like slow, like just slowness. You know what I mean? That's part of it. But it's just like kind of being confident in what you do and knowing that you're one of, yeah, just confidence in what you do. Hell yeah. When we talk about the impact of Aerosmith in concert mm -hmm. on the young Dustin, is that an experience I don't mean consciously, but you want to deliver something like that to people who come to hear The Electric Gentleman? 100%. Just like that caliber. Not to look up to them, but to be with them and do it, you know, and that's a really important thing for me, and that's why you got to have your, your stuff together. You got to have it together. So you take that from it from a business standpoint, you know, it's like these guys did it pretty right. It's a brand. It's a beautiful brand. We talked... I don't know how many years ago about your first release. How is the music world different from that to now? Do you have to do things differently in getting this word out and playing? It's certainly different. I mean, it's post-COVID, which has also kind of changed things. I mean, there was a time when video wasn't, wasn't, was like dead, remember? I mean, it was like not too long ago. And now videos are very important again. Very important. So there's a lot of that. And it's just the content. I mean, in, the constant content, never in the, was there that in the seventies or eighties, like, I mean, it was constant, it's constant content, which takes up a lot of time. And <laughs> so everybody could him and holler about it, but it's not, nothing's ever going to, it's always going to change and you're never going to stop doing it because it changes. So it's like, what, what are we even talking about? Let's just figure it out and move on. You just used the word content. Of course, there's all kinds of content. There's the ultimate content, which is the mm. album, which is filled with content. But you're not just a terrific player. You are a very powerful writer. And one of the times you were here, we talked about the fact that you read and you mm -hmm. read poetry. Your lyrics are the lyrics of somebody who's really sensitive to words. I do like words. I mean, I really do. I like good words. Like I'm the guy that definitely stops people. I'm like, oh. It's an expensive word. I say, you know, I like that. First of all, thank you because I really appreciate that because lyrics are definitely one of the more not easiest part of the process because I may overanalyze them a little bit. And you could do, you could definitely overanalyze things. And the last thing you want to do is say, what are people going to think about these words? Because that's going to, that's going to um, really ruin something beautiful that could happen and honest, you know. I've learned that if it feels uncomfortable, probably going to be good uncomfortable because it's going places that might make you uncomfortable because of the depth or nakedness of it all you know the 
you know, basically telling the world kind of what's going on in your life or not that every song is autobiographical and some songs are just cool words that you put together too. That's for everyone, you know. But some of the more personal stuff, I think the real trick of working with a producer or getting better at songwriting is to jump into the awkward. Which one on this would you point to? Of that? Of that? Yeah. Let's see. Change, 100%, is very honest song. But that can mean many things. <laughs> Before we shot the video for it, I was like, why don't we make the video about actual change? Like physical, like nickels and quarters. Like I need some change. Or if we were out in front of all these and you had to get a cart or something, you know, and change. That was like, the video, you know, a cart. The idea is that when we listen to the album in succession, the tone changes right there with that song. One to five, boom, 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 and very strong and powerful, sure. and then change. Mm -hmm. Changes the tone of the whole. And that's, that's cool too. I didn't really realize that. Yeah, like five is um, very true. The record also theoretically kind of changes at the song change too. And it's interesting because there is that chiasmus in mm. rhetoric or literature where you start here, yep. the thing goes down like a chain, and then it comes up, and this is the center. Right. That's a good, I also, that's a really good way to write a set list as well. I've, I like to do that. That's a nice, that's a real nice way to write a set list. See that? When we're going to talk to you about the song about working and trying to put money on the table. Yes. If this were classical album or a classical cut we'd talk about the way that the composer used the music to reinforce the theme you feel that it's really hard work and like tennessee ernie ford with 16 tons and what do you get right another oh, day that's... older and deeper in debt and it feels like that not that you're copying or anything no no no, you... no it has that energy about it but it does yes and that movement almost oh that's super cool oh, man i love coming here <laughs> That is very true. That song is, uh, I love the second verse, like daddy's working hard at the club downtown playing his guitar, but then he ends up spending all the money. <laughs> that's really, um, that's really cool. Uh, that's, um, in the end, the slower kind of ode to ZZ Top thing kind of going on at the end there is really cool. It is. And you know what? Things like that probably happen very subconsciously for me. Like the lyric kind of matches up and then the feel or the swagger then kind of goes with the lyric and the way that I sing it in the melody. So there is definitely something very musical about it, you know, whether I know that or not. When you reflect in a song like that and you're talking about working hard and trying to make ends meet and put food on the mm -hmm. table for the youngins, is that something that could be topical in the sense of political considerations? People are working hard now and it's really even harder now. And are you thinking about what it's like now? 100%. I think a lot of these songs kind of are written in present, you know what I mean, and deal with present situations. Yeah, I mean, we were just, I mean, uh, me and my wife were just talking about it. It's like, you know, we don't have any kids yet or anything. So, but just to go grocery shopping this day and age, you know, and it's just like, what? Like, I mean, we're all dealing with it. 
it definitely is not going as far as it used to. So people that do raising these children and these families and, and it's, it's upsetting, man. It's frustrating, but it always, it's, it's something's going to happen. We're going to be all right. And music is maybe a bomb, mm-hmm. a bomb. Yes. And music is something that- It could be us- both. <laughs> <laughs> we come together when you're playing and we're sort of in a community. So there is that sense of coming together that is so important about music making and hearing it live. 100%. And I think that's, and I often sometimes say it, you know, the first time I speak to the crowd where it's like, this is this is your hour and a half to forget about anything that's going on outside the doors of this venue. And if I can if I can put a smile on somebody's face and let them help them to forget about their problems, all while doing something that makes me feel like I have no problem. It's great, man. It's a beautiful, and that's why you, when you go to concerts and everyone is in that mindset, it's a beautiful collective single organism of a thing. But it is. I truly believe. I just want everyone to just be in the moment and have some fun you have worked with tommy and matt for a very long time what does that allow you to do as a player as a composer as a lyricist to create something like this because you know each other so intimately that makes this a better much better it's it's funny because it could definitely also be detrimental to be comfortable you know i believe that However, we're all pretty psycho at pushing ourselves. So I'm not worried about that. It is a good, man, I feel like we're just hitting our stride. It's great. We all kind of know what we're doing. And the, the great thing about being with my brothers for that long is like, we also know not just musically, but like personality wise, like how to deal with each other and to know how to get each other out of our moods. That makes for better progress for art. We always talk title. Yes. Black Leather Blues. Black Leather Blues. It came to me. I mean, it was it was getting to the point where the labels, oh, we got to name this record. Yeah, I know. I know. So just as anyone does, like a legal pad came out, my notes on my, so I just, I'd be driving to a gig and I would just think about it. And then it came to me, I think it was on the way to a gig and I texted it to them and we all agreed. Then, okay, this kind of named itself because, like, it's got that tough. Like, that's the kind of, I would like that to be the name of our genre. You know, what kind of music do they play? It's like, well, it's like heavy blues influenced music that people that wear leather jackets listen to. (laughs) You know, cool guy, cool people music. So that was kind of the whole imagery behind it in my head. And then the irony is, like, it's not really a blues record per se, which is cool because there's some. There's still something a little bit punk rock in my attitude. And if you can't join them, then... <laughs> but you're played on blues charts and blues... But it's it's the blues fans that I have to thank for doing it because they're, they're opening their minds. I mean, we all love traditional blues, but, like, it's okay to play a different version of it or be influenced by it. Like, it's all just rock and roll. It's all rock and roll. Dustin Douglas, guitarist, singer, songwriter, leader of the group Dustin Douglas and the Electric Gentleman, with Tommy Smalcom, drums, and Matt Gabriel, bass, speaking with us before the band performed here in a live homegrown in-studio concert on May 24th broadcast from the station. And that's where they shared tunes from their brand new release titled Black Leather Blues, We can hear the group this weekend, tomorrow, Saturday, July 1st at 9.30 p.m. 
at the Hive at Mohegan, Pennsylvania. And on Sunday, July 2nd, they'll be at Fire and Ice in Trucksville, just outside Wilkes-Barre. On July 13th, they'll be back at the Hive at Mohegan, Pennsylvania at 9.30 p.m. And then July 23rd, they'll be at Pocono Raceway in Long Pond to perform at noon. For more information, on the web, DustinDouglasMusic.com. Dustin, D-U-S-T-I-N, Douglas, D-O-U-G-L-A-S, music.com. DustinDouglasMusic.com